Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it's Albert. We got a Cowboys-centric show coming for you this week. Our special guest once wore the star in his helmet. Crushes in for the takeaways. We will hit the Cowboys there. And Cowboys fan Michael Fabiano is in with his fantasy and DFS picks for the week. And then we get to your questions as we always do in the six-pack. Let's go. All right, welcome back in. It's the Albert Breer Show. Week six is in the books. It's hard to believe. We are less than two weeks away from the trade deadline now. We are approaching midseason in the NFL. We got a great show coming for you today. Kind of a Cowboys type of focus. We're going to get to that with our special guest in a little bit. We got Fabs in with DFS and fantasy advice brought to you by DraftKings. And we'll get to all of your questions as we always do in the six pack. But first, as always, we're going to me- we're going to welcome in our good friend Andrew Gresh the third for the takeaways. Gresh, what's happening? You know there, Albert. We're trying to just win a bunch of football games down here in Dallas, and I ain't ready to jack around with you today. Even though we're in first place, I'm lower than a mole in a hole right now. So, I, like, I got an update. Actually, I got an update. Gresh, his name is, I, I got to stop it with the trip stuff, with the Andrew Gresh the third stuff. It, it, his name has been updated on the Zoom. It is now just Gresh. So, right. so it's over. It's over. That is. That is. It is. Uh, it's over like, uh, like the season is for about eight or nine teams already. In the That's end. right. And we are going to get to that. Um, but we'll start with my first takeaway, which I think is the obvious one. And um, Gresh, I'm going to. I'm going to ask you the same question that I think I'll start my uh, start my guest off with, which is when Kenyon Drake broke off that 69-yard touchdown run at the end of that game, and I think there was like about 2.30 left, mm-hmm. what was running through your head? Well, at that point, I had already turned the game off. So once mm-hmm. I heard that he <laughs> threw that extra touchdown on there, it was uh, it was injury to insult. I mean, it literally was the kick in the gonads, let's say, for the Dallas Cowboys. You're on the national stage. You're getting your butt whooped, and uh, they go up to. I saw the. I did see them pan up to Jerry and Stephen Jones, and yep. Stephen Jones had had the mask pulled down and was just looking all disgusted. And Jerry didn't know what to do. So here's my takeaway on this. The Cowboys cannot be fooled by what happens in their division. And I think this probably goes for the Eagles to Washington and New York. This doesn't apply to them because they, they're, they're rebuilding. Those, those teams know where they are, right? Like, uh, okay, but 
Dallas and Philly are in this interesting spot where they've contended the last few years. They've got good rosters. And I think there's some danger in the NFC East being as bad as it is beyond the obvious, um, which is it could fool if you're if you're Howie Roseman um, in Philly, if you're Jerry or Stephen Jones or Will McCloy Clay in Dallas, it could fool you over time, over the next two months into thinking maybe things aren't as bad as they looked the first month and a half of the season. And I think that you have to, if you're the Dallas Cowboys now, you have to assess Mike McCarthy. You have to assess your roster. You have to assess McCarthy's staff, not based on, you can't grade them on a curve based on what ha- what's happening in their division. You have to just take a cold, hard look at it. And what we saw on Monday night was ugly. And you know what the worst part about it to me, Gresh, was? The worst part about it to me was if you want to put the puzzle pieces together and you want to look at the Cowboys game against Seattle and you want to look at the Cowboys game against Atlanta and you want to look at the Cowboys game against Cleveland, you can actually sort of like tie all of them together because in each of those previous games, the Cowboys fell behind early and does it make sense to you to just say this time they didn't have Dak to bail them out? Right. <laughs> right? Like, 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 I mean, like logically, can't you look at it that way? Right. Like, isn't it logically like this is how bad the Cowboys were. Like, this isn't new. Like, this is how bad the Cowboys were for the first five weeks of the season. It's just that this time around, they didn't have Dak Prescott to bail them out in the fourth quarter. It's very evident that something isn't right there. And whether it's the coach to the roster, the roster itself, the general manager being the owner and that guy not being able to look outside of his own purview. I, I think it's a great point. Regardless of what's going on in the division, they have to be honest with themselves. And if they're not willing to do that, then they're never going to get out of this constant cycle, Bert. Yeah. Like it, it, they're, they're, they're a lot like Detroit in some ways, in my opinion, in mm-hmm. that except for Detroit, it's every couple of years they decide to reboot and sort of put a fresh coat of paint on things. Whereas with Jerry Jones, it's been the same thing every year. I'm going to try to reshuffle the deck. Now let me bring in a coach. He has all because you can't afford to be bad there. That's the thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like you can't like, like that's the thing. Like you can't pot him out there. No. And uh, I, and I think that, You know, Jerry Jones has had this unbelievable itch to scratch of I'm a football guy and that he can build it and then he's the one who can put it together. And it's almost like that has become a bigger part of the mission than building a good football team that has a chance to compete. He likes the shiny toys. He likes the big stars. But you know, what, where's the depth on that roster to be able to yeah. get them through? And I don't know what you're hearing. I mean, is it mutiny on the bounty? I mean, I, like, so, yeah. And we'll give a, we'll give credit to my buddy, Jane Slater, who did a good job kind of sussing out some of the stuff that was going on in the locker room. And that's, here's why that's disturbing to me. And, um, you know, we can pull up what we, we can pull up what Jane said, because I thought that that was, it, like it, it's to me, it's like disturbing on more than one level. It's disturbing for the obvious, which is like you want your team to be, uh, you want your team to be locked into what you know what your head coach is selling, and clearly that's a sign that it's not. Here's what, um, here's what Jane tweeted yesterday, and this was in the middle of the day. Um, 
And so she said, all right, um, initially, um, players bought into keeping things internal. Now, as they sit two and four, the discontent is leaking out. On the coaching staff, quote, totally unprepared. They don't teach. They don't have any sense of adjusting on the fly. Another, quote, they just aren't good at their jobs. So, you know, that's obviously not good. Here's the biggest problem, though, to me with that, right? When the, when you, if you look at who the Cowboys looked at hiring in January, in December and January, like look at the names, right? Marvin Lewis, Ron Rivera, Mike McCarthy. They wind up picking McCarthy. You know why they had those? You, what, what do those guys have in common, Gresh? They would all be happy to have the job and be paid handsomely, but let Jerry do whatever Jerry. Not only that experience, right? So what we were told was it's the experience of being an NFL head coach. Like the, the whole idea there was we have this roster that's ready to win right now. And we are about right now. Like we believe that this group of players that we have, and they paid Demarcus Lawrence, and they paid Jalen Smith, and they paid Ezekiel Elliott, and they paid Zach Martin, and they paid Tyron Smith, and they paid Amari Cooper. And like we believe this core is ready to compete for a championship. We can't screw around with a college coach. We can't screw around with a coordinator. We can't screw around with just rolling the dice on somebody we're not sure about. We are going for the sure thing. If this was about the right now, how freaking bad is that? Like what's happening? If this was about the right now, like how bad is it that we already have mutiny on the banks? Right? Yeah. Like I mean like that's the thing is like that does does that not add that like that adds another level to the whole thing is that you know beyond everything else you now have like a coach you brought in to win right now. This isn't like like hey like you know like let's give the young head coach some time. No, 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 no. Like you hired this guy specifically because you wanted to be able to hit the ground running and you haven't done anything close to that. And I like Mike McCarthy, but I, I think this will be a little bit of a referendum with him trying to win with Andy Dalton. Of yeah. Does he need that elite quarterback for him to be successful? Mm -hmm. Because to your point, you know, if, if Dak is now the new Aaron Rodgers, then what's going to happen when your team stinks defensively? Like we saw a little slice of that in the game against the, uh, the Arizona Cardinals. And uh, it, it'll, I, I look, I, I think there are big problems there, but then again, six and 10 might win that division, which is right. just pathetic, which again, don't, don't be blinded by that. Like the last point I'll make on this. Yep. Look across the field on Monday night, native Texan, creative offense, getting the most out of a young quarterback, a team bought in, franchise with an upward trajectory, right? Mm -hmm. Cliff Kingsbury. Do you think that it's possible, if you're the Jones family, you're looking across that field and you're thinking, we screwed up not just backing a, like just crashing a Brinks truck into Lincoln Riley's house? Well, they could always go hire Mike Leach. I mean, I, I say that kind of glibly, no, but nobody, nobody, like everybody wants like that offense. Everybody wants, everybody's hiring his assistants. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and where did Cliff learn it from? I mean, let's yeah. be real here. Hey, he adopted those styles yep. from Mike Leach to be able to make it work in the NFL. Yep. Well, Bert, uh, as you crack open a Bud Light, uh, there are jet fans who need them like that. Badly. Yeah. Very <laughs> yeah. good. Uh, no, my number one takeaway is now the jets can't fire Adam Gase, nor should they fire Adam Gase, Bert. And where are we I going know, with this? 
Oh, well, look where we've sat. We've sat here and talked about all these teams and trying to get Trevor Lawrence and all that stuff. Well, the Jets are in the catbird seat now with no wins and they're flaming refuse like the, the Jets logo could be changed to a dumpster on fire. And people would say, how come there aren't two or three to really uh, use that as an image as to what's really going on there. But now the Jets are so terrible and you know that you're trying to get Trevor Lawrence leave Adam Gase in there until week 15 or 16 when you know you got that thing sewn up. And if the Johnson family wants to, they could start to reach out and sniff around a search firm or whatever it is or figure out who they might want to hire. But they must leave Adam Gase in there to ensure they're going to get the number one pick. And everyone, hopefully, on that team will understand, well, they're keeping this rube around because they want us to get the best guy in college football. It's interesting because look at their – you know their next three opponents are? Uh, I uh, It's good teams, like really good teams, I think, right? Bills, Chiefs, Patriots. Ooh, fuck. <laughs> oh, they're and, 0-8. And then they have their bye. All right, so like that sort of sets up a timeline for you. I know, and they could screw it up, man. They could bring it all of a sudden. They could elevate Greg Williams, and the next thing you know, he's dog cussing everybody, <laughs> yeah. and they're all mad. Yeah. They go out, play great, screw it up, and win a game. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I, and then you're past the election too, so maybe we have a better idea of whether or not Woody's back, right, from the UK. It's just like there's like all these different things there, and. um Woody Johnson yeah. is going to sell the Jets to me because I'm going to run them every day. It is poorly <laughs> as I've run everything else. Sorry. I mean, it, it's it's going to be – no, your Trump impression is pretty good. I, I, like, I, uh, I, like, I'm with you. I, like, I don't <laughs> – don't I don't know what like, – like, so, so here's the one thing. Like, like the, the only issue I have with what you're saying, like, and it makes sense to, like, just ride this out, let Adam Gase have the rest of the year. If it's a dumpster fire the rest of the year, you get Trevor Lawrence. I got it. The only thing I, the only question I have is like, could this screw up the development of your young guys? And if you're Joe Douglas and you're sitting there, you're saying like, all right, like I'm worried about Makai Becton. I'm worried about Quentin Williams. I'm worried about Denzel Mims. I'm worried about Ashton Davis. I'm worried about these young players that we've been bringing into the building that now like they're going to be in this just mess for the next two months. And do I worry about that leaving a mark? Like, I don't know. That's the one thing, you know, like that. I just kind of like look at this and say, if I think that's like that to me, like that'd be the, that's the one reason why you move on a coach in, in the middle of a season, you know? Well, here, well, here's the thing. You're not going to bring in anyone that is going to get the job. And if Joe Douglas does that, then that would be a major upset. If it was, well, we're going to put an interim guy in here and then the interim guy takes the job. So right. from, from that end, if Joe Douglas is confident in the head coach that he's going to bring in the building, then that guy would have the ability, you would hope, to sort of suck those players in, let's say. Yeah. Now, some of the dudes that you mentioned, look, Makai Becton is going to be every bit aware as to how good Trevor Lawrence is. And I don't think one year of dealing with Adam Gase is necessarily going to get that have you know it's not going to mess with that guy's mind because coming a year out of college football he'll be but like you still hey, want to get like you still want to like you still want to give those guys like i just feel like you still want to give those guys positive momentum going into next year right yeah like, so the momentum like, is it like night when like, they they're like rewards. i and I, I know what you're saying but like does the last like the last 10 weeks of development that they're going to get this year like does that happening in a death march like are you losing 
like important time of development with those guys, which you know in turn would make the situation that Trevor Lawrence is walking into maybe just a little bit worse. That's yeah. the, that's that's the whole thing. Is like if you like to me like that's the one reason why you go to an interim coach because it's like all right, like well we want the environment here for the players to be better. We don't want to be dealing. We don't want the players to be part of like just a really ugly situation, you know, over the course of the last say eight to ten weeks of their rookie year, of their second year, whatever the case may be. I, I think it's a concern, but there are two things that I think Joe Douglas can do. One is communicate with all of those guys. Like he yeah. was a part of bringing them into the building, and I would like to think that football players in a locker room can kind of feel as to what's going on and uh -huh. they'll know what's up, so to speak. But I think Joe Douglas communicating with those guys can go a long way. And the other thing is Joe Douglas in a way can't be all that concerned with it because it's either a, you end up with Trevor Lawrence or B you have the number one pick and someone gives you a Herschel Walker type haul right. for the number one pick. And that's how you go about rebuilding the situation. But it that would mean you would have to bring in a veteran head coach who'd be able to walk in and organize everybody and get them going in the right direction right away. If they go the route of we got the number one pick, but Lawrence doesn't want to play here and you trade it and you take all that capital and you actually invest in someone in a coach that's got some real credibility. Ability. Uh, and if you get Trevor Lawrence, then I think all bets are off in terms of the coach you're going to pick because you need someone to tailor to that kid. I love that, like, it's October 21st and we're already talking about like a team like having the first pick and how they're going to manage. Like, it's like it's hard to believe that it's been that bad, but it, it, it's been that bad for the Jets. And, and I know we're going to get to it a little bit later, but when you have seven one win teams in the NFL, yeah. like we have right now. Uh, we could look at it and talk about it from the Jets end. But in reality, Bert, three weeks from now, we might be breaking down tiebreakers halfway through the year as to who has the lead to get that number one pick because this is – this is luck. This is Manning. This yeah. is one of those crown jewels coming out of college that you want. If you watched him on Saturday, uh, I, he is – Oh, dude, is ridiculous. I mean, they were messing around out there. We're yeah. we're really not going to see great Trevor Lawrence. We won't need to see great Trevor Lawrence until the ACC championship game. Not even the playoff, the national championship game. Whomever they get, and I know that might might be your Ohio State Buckeyes. I know. Yes, I'm already predicting here on October 21st that whomever Clemson, unless it's Alabama, right? Clemson Alabama is the main event. Whomever Clemson's got to play to get there in that, you know, final four round, it's going to be a smoke show. My guys are going to have something to say about that. We'll go. We'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. And we're going to go from one young quarterback that's entering the league into another to another one uh, that is now in the league and has been in the league for six months, and he is now the third first round quarterback to win a starting job, and that is Tua Tungavaloa the new starting quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. And Gresh, my takeaway here, I think with with one with one provision, Brian Flores and Chris Greer are handling this brilliantly. Okay? And the reason why, most young quarterbacks walk into god-awful situations, right? Like most young quarterbacks, they're drafted by bad teams. And do you know when, if, if you don't start them from day one, 
Do you know how they usually get in? They usually get in because the team's falling apart, right? They usually get in because the team's one in five, and it's like, we got to find out about the young guy. The season's over. Like, and usually, like, usually that's like a really like horrible spot for a young guy to be in because it's like, all right, like now he's going to go in there and play, and he's probably going to get the crap knocked out of him. You know, he might be playing with some veteran players who are checked out on the season. It's just not a good spot. They're doing the opposite in Miami. Right? Like they're doing the opposite. Like the team's starting to play well and they're plugging them in there. Right? Like, and I like the idea that you're going to give your young quarterback like a real chance to succeed and play important games and have a team around him that's really locked in and playing well. I love that part of it. The one provision here, like, and I'm assuming, I'm making assumptions based on what I know about Brian Flores and how he handles his locker room. He has to have earned it. All right. Like, and that's the important thing because I think Brian Flores, you know, like, like I think he's acutely aware of this sort of stuff. Like you have to be able to sell it to your locker room. Right. Like, and if he wasn't practicing well, if he wasn't showing stuff in the meeting room, then I don't think you can do this. I'm assuming that, 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 that all of that stuff is happening and all of that stuff is there. If so, I think this is a brilliant spot to put him in. You give him the bye week, and he's entering a good, not bad situation. I think the biggest thing that Tua Tagovailoa's got going for him is Ryan Fitzpatrick, because even after Miami's win, the sideline reporter, whomever it was, is in the stands, and they asked Fitz about Tua getting in the game, and he had nothing but glowing things to say. We've seen Fitz handle this as a professional. And there would be other veteran quarterbacks who, given his tenure, I don't think would have handled it the way that Fitz has. And that's going to go a long way to making Tua comfortable. That said, this is also, Bert, what you can do when your expectations aren't out of whack. When you don't have an owner who's being like, hey, you're in year two. How come you're not winning 10 games? He can sort of see the forest through the trees here and putting in Tua. And Bert, I wonder if now that they got a little baseline on the offense this year in terms of understanding the personnel, how else are they going to open up the offense with Tua in ways that they couldn't with Fitz, which is namely take advantage of Tua's athleticism. And let's remember too, it's a left-handed quarterback. So that changes some things for not only a play caller, but also the way you're going to run your offense. Yeah, and it's going to be fun to watch because I think this is part of the reason why you hired Chan Gailey and you got rid of the Patriots-centric offensive staff is because Chan was pretty recently a college head coach. He's got you know great like institutional knowledge of spread of spread offense and spread offense quarterbacks and what it takes to make them be successful. And I, I think to some like what Chan's going to be able to do is Chan's going to be able to like identify, okay, like he does X, Y, and Z really, really well. And we're going to do that stuff. Like we're not going to jam a compl- uh, like, like something too complicated down his throat. We're going to give him what he's good at and we're going to get him rolling. And I think he's a good kid. I think he'll win the yeah. locker room and uh, let's, I, I would put it this way. We'll know if it's going to crumble quick. I mean, because what they've built can be torn down pretty quickly if you put a quarterback in there who either A, can't function and perform, or B, that the team doesn't believe in. And I would think that that room has got to have some belief in Tua for, as you mentioned, for uh, old B-Flow to sort of make this move. Bert, I am uh, looking at SI.com. I'm looking at the NFL standings, Mm -hmm. and I see... 
it's very top heavy and very bottom heavy right now in the league. And you got the Jets at 0-6. You have Cincy with one win. You have Houston and Jacksonville each with one win. The Chargers are in with one win. We know the mess that the NFC East is, and you almost kind of take those one-win one teams out of it at least a little bit because they're all fighting for a division title. Minnesota's at one and five. Atlanta's at one and five. And then we have the toughness of the NFC West. And we've also got those teams at the top, like Seattle is five and zero, oh, and Chicago has five wins themselves. And you go to the AFC, and you got Kansas City and Tennessee and Baltimore, yeah. and Pittsburgh, and you know Buffalo's kind of taking a step back a little bit into that middle class. But Bert, we've got the really good teams, the really bad teams. And then there is the middle class of the NFL, like Buffalo and Miami and New England, and let's throw Cleveland in there as well, and Indianapolis. And, you know, I'm wondering, how good is this middle class in the NFL? And you look in the AFC compared to the NFC, it's so different because in the NFC, you got one division, as we mentioned, that's utter trash. I at five and one, I'm still not buying the Bears. I'm sorry. Every Bears mm -hmm. fan on the planet can be mad at me. I, I look at the way they've won their games and I'm just not digging them. But you've got Tampa at four and two, you got the Saints at three and two. There's gonna be, Bert, a middle class team, so to speak, as we look at it right now, who is who is going to end up in a final four or making some noise in the playoffs. And I I think those teams that are that have one win, some of them are going to end up with four or five, maybe six by the end of the year because they're in different stages of their reclamation projects. Whereas how good are the Chicago Bears? How good right. really are the Baltimore Ravens this year? Considering offensively, they're nowhere near the juggernaut that they were last year. They can right. run over some teams. They can't run over everybody. And I guess my point in this is, is that there's a healthy group of teams in the middle of the standings well, right now that we should not be looking to count out in any way, shape, or form. And, and you know, I do look at like some of those teams that you mentioned, and some of those teams do have like people with credibility, right? Like in the like, like in their ranks, like New Orleans, obviously, like Drew Brees, Pey Drew Brees, Sean Payton, the Bucks have Tom Brady. Uh, you know, you look at the Rams, Sean McVay has been to a Super Bowl. Jared Goff's been to a Super Bowl. The Colts have Phillip Rivers. The Raiders have John Gruden, who has, you know, coached two teams in his past to, to great success, um, one to a Super Bowl championship. The Niners, you know, like who everybody's forgotten about, but looked really freaking good on Sunday night and looked like they may be getting Jimmy Garoppolo going again and have, you know, sort of, I think, survived the loss of, of Nick Bosa to some degree and played really well defensively. Um, you know, so they're, they're right there. And so like, I think you look, look at like a lot of the middle-class teams, the Patriots obviously are another one mm -hmm. where there are certain people in those, the, the ranks of those teams that give those teams real credibility where if they get hot, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, it's not just, Hey, this is an up and coming team. We don't know what's going, we, we don't know how they're going to handle the big moments. There are lots of people in those places that have already handled the big moments before. Yeah. And, and I think too, that, you know, some of these one win teams, it's, it's circumstance. Some of yeah. it is, this is where we just are in our build. Uh, and, and look, you know, if you really look at those one win teams right now, 
and you look at some of the layers of complexity. Like I actually looked up Julio Jones's contract the other day for Atlanta. The guy's untradeable. It'd be like a $58 million cap hit if they flipped him and tried to trade the guy. And then I think uh, in two years from now, it'll only be $38 million. So when you start to look at the one-win teams and you think, well, they could start to liquidate some assets and maybe they're going to change their coach and get rid of this guy or get rid of that guy, it isn't as easy as it seems. And then you throw in with a team like the Giants or Cincinnati who might be around the top five of the draft again, if not sniffing around the number one pick. Well, they sure as hell ain't going to take Trevor Lawrence. So how do those teams look at it and go about it at the end of the year? I just think for the Jets, getting back to them and mentioning them and tying them into this, there's real, there's no incentive for them to win. Like mm-hmm. for Cincinnati, go win. You already got your quarterback. Yeah. For the Giants, try to go win. You got your quarterback. Uh, you know, Minnesota's stuck with their guy. Atlanta might be stuck with their guy for a while. So for those teams that are really bad, uh, who are in the middle of a rebuild or have the, those kind of veteran QBs, then you want to go out there and try to win as much as you can. But for a team like the Jets, there's no reason for them to win football games this year. If they go six and ten, people will be like, You dummies, now you're now you're like, I mean, but, you know, and I love Sam Darnold and I think Sam Darnold would go to quarterback rehab somewhere and, you know, go be the backup behind Tom Brady next year. Steelers. Then got his next guy. Like, seriously. Steelers. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know what? Like, <laughs> there you go. That's a yeah. really good. I didn't think of that, but that's a great call. And, and those teams will look at someone like Darnold and be like, hey, man, if I got to pay him, you know, two and a half or three million dollars to get him in here, that's a worthwhile investment. Yeah. Maybe rebuild him and have a, a my I mean, look, no, but yeah, I mean, if you're like Pittsburgh, I know we're getting way off topic here, but if you're Pittsburgh, isn't it worth like flip, flipping the 25th pick in the draft for him? I don't know yeah, if I could I would, far, but it, it depends on. The I would do it. It, it, 20, it, all, it all depends on when he becomes available, in my opinion. But you know what, though? But this this isn't off topic. To me, this does all tie yeah. together because organizations like Dave Gettleman is going to have a different plan than Joe Douglas right. in trying to get out of their morass of negativity this year. Okay. Well, so that will go from the middle class and some lower class teams there to the the upper class, the uh, the, the NFL's luxury box right now. Ooh. And hey, I- it is occupied. It is occupied by Mike Vrabel and the Tennessee Titans. Oh. And I'm telling you, like right now, I like, like – I look at them and I think they've got so many things going on that are like, it just feels to me like they are working it right now. Right. He's like got they a round the, of applause. Cause I'm with you. They, they are. went to the, they went to the AFC title game last year and look like they come back off of that. And I talk about like, like the COVID thing, however you want to, you know, slice it, blame them. Don't blame them. However you want to deal with that. Right. That's adversity. Like that is that 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 is something that has that is something that can really create a problem inside a team, right? That could create a problem with your coaching staff and the players. That could that, that there is potential for that for something like that to really kind of send your season sideways. And what did it do there? I mean, like to me, I think it's it the analogy is Spygate. The and Mike Vrabel was on that team. That's Mike cool. Vrabel was on the Spygate team where the Patriots did something wrong. Yes. And but that created like what they did wrong created adversity for them, and it pulled the team together. And I think Mike like like right now I think Mike Vrabel might be the coach of the year in the NFL. And 
he has Derrick Henry, who I think is one of the best players in the NFL right now, mm-hmm. right? Like based on what we've seen, the defense is playing well. And the quarterback, like think about this, like Ryan Tannehill, okay, 17 games, 15 starts as a Titan right now. Do you know what his numbers are? They are Mahomes-like. 70% completion, 4,100 yards, 35 touchdowns, seven interceptions, and a passer rating of 116. That's not a small sample size. Tom that's Bert. like a full that's a full season. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so are we looking at Ryan Tannehill? Are people still skeptical of Ryan Tannehill just based on like what we thought he was in Miami, right? I mean the guy's still he's 32 years old. Like he's not like he's not cooked, you know? So I just look at all these things and I think like this is a very real like threat like 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 this is a very real like world title contender now. And I think the one thing that's given me pause was the injury Sunday. And I know people don't go crazy if it's not a quarterback injury or a skill position injury. Losing Taylor Lewan is a big freaking deal. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know how they manage that. Like, you know, they got a couple of veteran guys with experience and, and Dennis Kelly and Ty Sombrello at the, the, the tackle positions. They lost Jack Conklin in the offseason to Cleveland. They really need like Isaiah Simmons, their first or Isaiah Simmons, Isaiah Wilson, their first round pick to come along. Um, you know, he has I think he's made some really stupid mistakes early in his career already um, off the field. Uh, you know, so getting him, finding a way to get him in the lineup um, would be huge if they could find a way to, you know, get him where he needs to be. Um, but if they can work out that tackle situation, I think the te- I, 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 I think this team has pretty much everything that you need to win a Super Bowl. I'm with you, and you, I'm glad you mentioned Taylor Lewan because when he, when it was confirmed he had the torn ACL, mm-hmm. the first thing I thought of was, well, Robinson's going to get on the phone and start looking for a tackle because. They're at the point in Tennessee to where, like you said, they're close and they need to take advantage of their quarterback who is having his moment right now. And we've seen this from other quarterbacks before where they'll have a four or a five year run, maybe three to four year run where they're in the right situation at the right time and it's the right fit and it's the right kismet. And that's what seems to be happening with Tannehill, because to your point, if you're going off of Miami, Ryan Tannehill, then you're like, well, to hell with it. I'll put 10 in the box and let that guy throw it, knowing that he can't beat me. But this this offense fits his skill set perfectly athletic, quick decisions. You know, they could put him on the boot if they want to. He can run a little bit. They and and Mike Vrabel gets it, man. Like that's the thing. Like Vrabel spent his whole career with Belichick where they were looking for the flaws in quarterbacks and saying, how can we attack that? So from that other standpoint, Vrabel looks at it and says, all right, I know what this guy is. Let's coach him up. So we're not exposing him. And oh my God, how we're like, yeah, Mike Vrabel, he's brilliant. There are a lot of coaches who say, well, to hell with it. You plug into my system and you learn to run it versus adapting it to a guy who will never go down as an all-time great. Ryan Tannehill will go down for making a lot of money, but he'll never go down as an all-time great. But this might be that run that makes that career all worth it and stand out in a way, especially if he puts a ring on his finger at the end of the season. Do you see the 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 what, what Vrabel pulled on Sunday too? 
dude. The and he's done it before. <laughs> the whole for those who don't know, Mike Vrabel on second and one with three minutes to go against Houston sent in a 12th player on defense. And you know what's really funny is I saw the video of somebody isolated, and and you saw the dude looking to the sidelines, and yeah. you see Vrabel pull his mask down and go, "It's second and one. It's second and one." Almost like, hey. Dumb dumb, remember what I told you that we might do this. That's why he's like yelling out there. It's second and one to remind the guy of the situation and that we're stopping the clock. It's not about, you know, the down and distance or how many are on the field. And I think Vrabel did that in 2018 as well. Yeah, but there was an example. There was an example. But but I immediately thought, like uh, when I saw that, I like immediately thought back to like the playoffs last year oh, yeah. when he turned the tables on Belichick, right? Like Belichick and other across the field by screaming, yeah. like laughing at each other or you want to do it to you yeah i mean i i just think like and that's the thing is like i think mike is like i he's every bit the head coach you know what i mean like this isn't a like and i think he's just such a good example of like why sometimes maybe we overrate like like you know this guy's an offensive guru or defensive guru you know like, like all that stuff that that stuff's not irrelevant but like having an idea of how to manage a game and lead a team like that's that's why Mike like he was only a defensive coordinator for one year and it's irrelevant right because he understands like he understands the way like an, like a team works like he understands what his team needs he understands how different pieces of a staff have to fit together like that stuff's more important than being able to call a play He's like John Harbaugh in that sense. Yeah. Now, where Harbaugh went in and it was, oh, this is a special teams guru, but he understood how to put it all together. And some of that is, you know, to me, the lineage and history of his dad and, of course, his brothers and him just knowing football. And I'm with you. Vrabel is like that. My number three takeaway is much more of a bigger question. Then who knows? Maybe we'll get some feedback at that half million people who yell at you at Albert Breer or the significantly less amount of people who dog cuss me at the real Gresh. But it came up this week because we saw New England lose and we saw Tampa win, especially against Aaron Rodgers. So, oh boy, now Tampa went from, oh my God, they're not going to make the playoffs after losing Chicago to, hey, they're going to the Super Bowl now because they whooped up on Green Bay. But how do we go about determining who wins the Brady-Belichick divorce? I mean, but, but and, and someone posed this to me on my national I feel like it changes every week. And that's the thing, is that right now, it feels like we're in... Well, it, Brady's ahead right now, right? Like, yes, but like, yeah. yeah. It, you but know like, what it is, but like, but like, but like, eleven days ago or two weeks ago, yep. coming out of that Thursday night game where Brady's got the four fingers up, it's Belichick one, well, right? Like, yeah. Oh, look, <laughs> look at this guy he's senile and he's losing. Yeah. And it, it's interesting. It, uh, look, uh, when you and I, you and I were not in college at that different a time. However, I was in college at URI enough to not have cable running through the dorms. So mm -hmm. there were times as a football player where. You know, other offensive linemen and I would watch like a soap opera. And then all of a yeah. sudden you're like, Jesus, I'm in on this soap opera now. And you got to make time <laughs> to watch it. And you're, you're talking about it. Right. But that's what this is. This feels like the early episodes of like a short run series on Netflix or something like that, where we're in that like first quarter. And to your point, it's, it's the roller coaster, man, up and down, up and down, up and down. But ultimately at the end, let's say neither of them win a championship. 
So so let's say in the next two years, Tampa doesn't get there and New England, you know, divisional round outs, let's say something that would be in accordance with what would have happened maybe when Tom Brady was here. How do we rationalize that? Like, doesn't this come down to which one of them wins a championship without the other? But can that be done in the short amount of time that Tom Brady is going to be in Tampa Bay? I just I wrestle with this because to your point, it's the roller coaster up and down. And I don't know if we can have a, a final answer unless there is a championship for one of them. Yeah, it's so weird because like we don't there's no like previous situation that kind of like ties to this, right? Like, cause you think of the great dynasties like Terry Bradshaw retired a steal or Joe Montana went to the chiefs, but Bill Walsh never coached in the NFL after, you know, retiring from the Niners. He did go to Stanford, but he'd never coached again in the NFL. I, maybe Jimmy Johnson and Troy Aikman, like, right. Like that, that, but that wasn't like, it wasn't like the two were at loggerheads. That was more Jimmy versus Jerry, right? Like, so and Jimmy went to Miami and, you know, they had some success, but not great success there. And, and Troy, you know, I, you know, obviously the concussions wound up getting him and shortening his career. So like, we haven't really ever seen anything like this. And I think ultimately I, I would say right now, like my feeling on it, especially after like sort of experiencing the roller coaster of the last six weeks, I just, I don't think we're going to have a clear answer. Like who was more responsible? Like, and I think that's what everybody's looking for, right? Like, it's like, well, like this is going to be our chance to separate Brady and Belichick. And I think it's fascinating, like being able to watch those two guys kind of work separately now. I, I don't know, man. Like, I'm not sure that we're going to come out of this with a, with a clear answer on which one was more responsible. Um, you know, I think that there's arguments for both. Like we've seen Belichick now be creative and, you know, work with a very different type of quarterback with a, roster that's a little deficient you know on the flip side i think you know we see with brady it's like how he's played in some spots it's like wow like maybe if bill had done this for him maybe if bill had been more aggressive maybe if bill had drafted better you know like brady brady would have had this in new england so you can sort of see both sides of it now based on the the places that both guys are with their teams and i i think to the other part of this that doesn't get brought up enough is some of this is also a referendum on bill belichick the general manager yeah uh and not in, in terms of oh you didn't pick this guy you didn't pick that i mean that's prototypical sports radio. And I've been in it for 25 years where you look back two years down the road and how come they passed on Debo Samuel? How come the 49ers get people like that? And blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like it's the whole, well, I can identify two years later that this guy's really good. How come my team didn't draft him instead of looking at it where Belichick is trying to put it together a little differently. Like I'm as much fascinated of the Brady Belichick piece of it as I am, how is Bill going to adapt as a general manager? Because one of the things that he was always really good at was getting those veteran guys to come in and complement the existing base of players that was already there. Now, to me, when he goes shopping or drafting, it's a little different because you have a system and you kind of have a quarterback, but you don't necessarily know the road you're going down yeah. long term. So how do they go about trying to build the roster in the short term if Cam is here for, say, two or three years and they get what they can out of him? That's the part of it that I think will be forgotten about that is a major piece of all yeah. of this is how is Bill the GM going to react? Yeah, yeah. And it's – I will say this, like – 
it's pretty jarring looking at some of the receivers who went after Nikhil Harry. I'm going to leave it at that. Like in 2019, like just take a look at the list. Like you look at some of the guys that went in the second and third round and man, like it just, it, it does not, it does not acquit them well. Yeah, um, I'll put and, it that way. And, and, and I would say this while they haven't been great at drafting wide receivers in part, some of the things that save them are drafting Mike Onwenu and Justin Heron and people like yeah. that who have been, but that was two thirds of your, it was a two fifths, excuse me, of your offensive line when they were playing out there in Kansas City and against Denver. And I know they, you know, they had some yeah. issues against Denver that, that really bit them in the butt, but that, you know, that's the other, but we, we focus on the flashy picks because it's the yeah. narrative of even Jerry Jones can make a number three pick when it's Zeke Elliott, of course. But when you're right. at the bottom of the first round, it's a little different. Absolutely. All right. He's Andy Gresh. I'm not going to call him Trip anymore. That's now dead and gone. Yeah, that doesn't uh, really fit. That's for one of your, uh, you know, DB <laughs> frat brothers who decides to go back to Ohio State for the 15th anniversary because he doesn't have a, any fun in his life anymore. Wow. Wow. That, 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 that we didn't need to make things personal. Um, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you knew another person. We didn't have to take it down that road, Gresh. Uh, I, I didn't go down the seersucker Nantucket uh, group, so I only <laughs> ragged on your frat buddies, not your fancy fine. Yeah, you can, yeah, you can, you can definitely give me it. Uh, there's multiple angles you can take if you want to go down that road. Gresh, appreciate you coming out. We'll get to our special guest right after this. All right, we're going to bring back one of our favorite guests now. He's a former first-round pick, former Ohio State Buckeye, former Dallas Cowboy, Miami Dolphin, Detroit Lion. I know I always forget a team or two. New England Patriot, right? Um, He now hosts the Morning Drive in Columbus, Ohio on 97.1. Bobby Carpenter, welcome back to the show. Albert, thanks for having me on, man. Love talking to you, sir. So so did I miss anybody? Was that the four teams? Is there... No, you got it. And I just I actually it. sold our condo that we had. Like it was kind of our place that we had moved back to in the off season. It was the first place my wife and I kind of bought that anchored us in Columbus. And I'd rented out to some of the guys on the team for a number of years. Finally got to the point where I'm like, all right, I'm done with it and got it cleaned up. And I was unpacking some of the stuff that I'd had boxed up above the garage. And I found some like my old dolphin stuff from when I was there for like my brief stint. So <laughs> Uh, there is there is still proof that that actually happened <laughs> do you have like do you like actually like i know some guys have like in their basement or whatever all their jerseys framed do you have something like that though i only have one of my jerseys framed my ohio state national championship jersey i have a um, the one you wore in the game the one i wore in the game okay. i've got a romo a wear uh i've got a witten i just ran across my dolphin stuff i have a jake long in there um Oh my gosh, the receiver. I can't remember his name. Number nine. Brandon Marshall. Yeah. I got a Brandon Marshall sign style. I was like, wow, I actually got two from B Marsh. I've got like a uh, Tom Brady jersey that I have to get framed still. And then I've got like a, a Stafford and Calvin Johnson signed ball. And I need to get jerseys from those guys. I'm going to have to call them. But I always like said guys who I played with who I thought were, um, I think I have a Torello. I have some TO stuff. I should probably get a jersey from him since he is in the Hall of Fame. But when I was playing, Albert, one of the things I looked at I was like, all right, is this guy like, going to be a hall of famer does he have a chance yeah. to be a hall of famer <laughs> yeah so and if he's a teammate of mine like that'd be fantastic i'd like to have uh uh jersey signed by them you know just in because of that and so you know i've got to clean that all up i have the number framed i still have to get a couple more to get done but 
I don't have like some shrine to myself. It's mostly like guys who right. I played with, so I can show my kids like, yeah, it's Troy Smith. Like, you see those those Heisman Trophy winning like Heisman yeah. trophies at Ohio State. Like, I played with that guy. You know, there's you know AJ Hawk or you know these guys guys who I played with that. You know, it'd be cooler for them to see that than see dad. Is that awkward at all? Asking like a guy for a jersey? I don't know. Like that seemed like to be well, like a little, a little I, weird. You know, now everybody does the jersey swaps, so it's right. not as yeah. awkward. Like that wasn't as prevalent back then. Um, and so when you go around, and a lot of guys are great. You know, especially like I remember Calvin Johnson being absolutely phenomenal for as good as he was. Like he'd sign anything for anybody, and, and most guys were like that too. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to throw shade on any others. There were a couple that were that were rough about it, but. Um, it was like I would go up and a lot of guys have charity stuff and people know they're active in the community. They make jokes about guys like selling it like hard times, you know, like, yeah. Hey, I mean, you know, you might, you think you're going to get cut. You got to store some of these up for the, you know, for the summer. <laughs> yeah. But like literally when I go up, I remember telling like Romo, cause he'd always joke with me about it. I'm like, listen, do like, do do not that you, I'm not telling you not to do a good job on other ones. But like, this is for me. And they, what do you mean? I'm like, this is personally for me. I'm going to get this framed and hang it up. So, like if you wonder where it's going, it's going to be going in my house. And so yeah. like, I would always make sure I told guys that, you know, as opposed to not that I'm not like valuing it or it's not going to a good charity or something like that. But like, this is literally going to be hung on my wall for the next, you know, 40 years of my life till my kids tell me you're too old dad and we're putting you in a home. The funny thing is like Romo, like Romo's going to wind up being like Madden where like Madden, like you have to tell people that he was a coach. Yeah. Like Romo is going to be like that guy who like winds up being like, like, oh, he was a quarterback. Like you the TV guy, you mean, you know, like he's going to, I, I, like he's so good at it. You know, like he's gonna be one of these guys where it's like people are going to forget what he was as a player because they're just going to think of him as like the TV guy. Oh yeah. And so that's what, you know, I was talking on the phone or, you know, I want to try to meet, you know, meet up with him at points. It's tough right now. Um, just with every all the restrictions, but you know, my kids are like, well, what do you what do you want to get? Who are you talking to? Who are you going to go see? I'm like, well, the guy right there, you know, on television that's talking. Like, what's he? Oh, he just talks about the game. Like, he was a pretty good player. You guys <laughs> yeah. might not remember it, but you know, because they're young. But like, here, I'll pull out some highlights, which is so easy to pull out now. His 47 broken tackles, and then he throws a touchdown pass. You know, to, to Miles Austin. So it's you know, it's easy to see that. But you're you're probably right, Albert. I mean, he's on pace where 20 years from now. People remember him more as the commentator than as the head coach or as the player. Okay, so like, let's get it. Since you're there on the Cowboys, that's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to bring Bobby on because that was his first team. He's a first round pick there. He was on some pretty good teams um, in Dallas, so he has a really good feel for what's going on down there. And I, I guess my first question would be just kind of like what was going through your head when you saw Kenyon Drake break off the 69 yard run at the end of that game because that felt like. And you don't want to throw words around, but like I know people in Dallas threw the word quit around. Um, and when you saw that at the end of the game, sort of as a former player, when you see that and you see the team getting blown out like that, and then you just see something like that at the very end of the game, kind of like take me through what kind of run, ran through your head when you saw that on Monday it was night. It was surprising because I don't feel like there was really any gap in talent. Like usually when you see a team get blown out, like there's a talent disparity. And obviously Zeke had the turnover, so that's going to come into play a little bit. Um, but there's like, if you looked at the two rosters, I think people would still look at Dallas and say they're better players here. Now it doesn't help the fact that their offensive line was beat up and all these mitigating factors. But it, it reminds me my first year when I had left Dallas and I'm in Detroit and I'll vividly remember watching this game. I think it was a Sunday night or I believe it's a Sunday night game in Detroit. We played a lot of one o'clock games, Albert. I mean, if you can imagine yeah. that. Especially in in, in, uh, in 2011, 10. Now, in 11, we did get some of the 430 kicks, 4 o'clock kicks. But 
we were done. I'm hanging out at Stafford's house and we're watching Dallas Green Bay. And I don't know if you remember this game, but it looked a lot like that. Yeah. It was up in Green Bay, and that was the last game Wade Phillips coached. Wade, right. That was the Wade got fired the next day. And that yeah. way he got fired the next day. And Jerry loved Wade. Wade's a great guy. And it just looked like the guys like I wouldn't I don't use the term quit, but just I would like more like succumb to the situation. Like there's no you're not going to give like that extra that extra effort it looked like they were just letting things happen and it wasn't they weren't like playing like walking on the field but it it just felt like everyone they got hit with a tidal wave and they knew it was washing them back out and so watching that game it felt a little bit like that like Dax hurt you know Lyle Collins is out uh uh Smith is out out, yeah. yeah You know, Travis Frederick retired. Then you see, you know, Martin going off the field and it's like Zeke's fumbling. And it's like, my goodness. I mean, is there anything else that could possibly go wrong? Like, we're just not operating at a high level. And it felt a lot like that. And, you know, I don't, and the fact that they're two and four and still leading the division is like the ultimate irony in the world. Yeah. So they're still in it, even though they're bad. But it, it would just, it, it didn't feel like, the normal Dallas Cowboys team that would always, you know, fight to that. Even when they were losing, they're still going to score a lot of points and go back at you. Yeah. And it's just like, I, I don't know. Like I, it, it, you look at it like, and you see it, it, there were just images from that game, I guess. Like you see Jalen Smith jogging, you see Zeke fumbling, you see like, it's just, there are, I don't know. Like it felt feels to me like that team, like the details are a problem now, right? <clears throat> like maybe it's like, I don't know. Like I know Jason was such a detailed coach, you know, and they like, and maybe there's that reaction from players where you go from a coach like that to now it's a little looser and, and maybe it's like a substitute teacher effect, right? Like where it's like, all right, like, so like I had to have this stuff in tight and they were, st- and we harped on it so much over the last few years. Now, if that's not there, Maybe we let the details go a little bit. Yeah, I think that's a that can happen to an extent. But that was like the like how it was with Parcells. Like he was always yeah. honest, thumb on us, really hard, very very tough, very very physical. And you know, sometimes you get beaten down by it a little bit mentally. Although I think Bill did a much better job. You know, his last couple of years, you know, coaching to his team and understanding what he had. But then Wade comes in. Wade's more fun, easy going. He's like your grandpa, like great dude, awesome guy. Went thirteen and three. And so talking to some of the guys, you know, in Dallas, I think people thought that that was going to happen. You know, Jason was so detail oriented, you know, maybe not the charismatic guy, maybe didn't have, you know, the, the track record or the pedigree of having success as a head coach. And so they thought when Mike McCarthy came in, hey, this is a breath of fresh air. He'll be able to get to the team, whether he's the long term solution or not. I think people viewed the floor of this team as kind of six and ten or ten and six, eleven and five. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, right now that would look like an utter miracle. So it was very, very surprising to see that because usually when someone lets off of you, you don't completely abandon who you are, Albert. Like you still have that in there. Yeah. It takes like year, it takes like usually a season or two before some of those characteristics begin to erode. So what does that tell you then as an ex player? Like when you see that they've eroded that quick, what does that tell you? <sighs> Goodness, it tells me I like I don't feel like there was a like it can maybe a concerted buy-in to what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that they have some starters out, obviously that, that contributes to it, but, and you know, not to bang on Mike McCarthy as a coach, but you begin to ask yourself the question like, all right, defensively, they've struggled all year long. Now I know he's not the defensive coordinator, but he's, he's the head coach. And so some right. of that comes down to playing complimentary football. 
and keeping those guys off the field. And so they, they kind of started to try to do that with Zeke, and then he coughed the ball up a couple times. But you know, it felt like they should. I know that Dak can throw for 450 yards. Like that's not a question. Yeah. But is that the best? What's best for your team? And so I, I feel like some of that was being lost, and guys were just looking around. Like after now four or five, six weeks, like are we really doing what's what we do best? And finding the best complementary way to win. And that's something that Parcells used to harp on. Belichick harps on all the times. Like it's not how highly ranked your offense, defense, or special teams are. It's, it's how many wins and losses you have. And so all those things kind of marry together. And sometimes that means giving up stats in, in one area to make sure that your team is better. And I don't know if like Mike fully appreciates it. Maybe I think he does appreciate it, just maybe doesn't understand you know kind of how to operate it. I think some of those things were kind of they were, they were uh, I guess, there was like a perfume of Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre right. that kind of covered up some of that because those guys for a long time could really make anyone look great and overcome some of those weaknesses. No, and I think that was sort of part of the criticism of him in Green Bay too was that it was like just he's sort of the head coach of the offense, right? <laughs> like And that like other parts of the team could slip at times um, and God, you remember how they like the, the special teams cost them a trip to the Super Bowl in a wild, yeah. wild, wild NFC title game, right? But that was always sort of the thing was, well, he's the head coach of the offense, and he's so he's so tied up on that on that side of things that like other parts of the game can kind of slip. And I always think that part of it's interesting because the job of head coach isn't to run one side of the ball or the other. But Jerry kind of and correct me if I'm wrong here. Jerry kind of lets that happen sometimes, right? Like, because I remember when Wade came in, the idea was, all right, well, Jason's got the offense covered, right? Like, and, yeah. it, like, and I don't know, like, I, I just felt like, I, like, I, I remember like always hearing that in Dallas was like Jerry kind of wants to hire one, hire someone who's really strong on one side of the ball, and wants to take almost like take care of one side of the ball with the head coach, right? Well. You know, and that was the case after like Bill left, obviously, because Bill yeah. like encompassed Bill everything. Bill was more than that, yeah. Yes, yeah. I mean he he was running the whole he was running the whole ship. I mean Jerry was. But the that was GM. when he needed like that's when Jerry needed like a stadium built, and he needed like oh. credibility again. He lost all his credibility at that point. Like he needed, you know, to, bu- he needed to build a roster, and yeah. you know, you look at what that roster did. You know, through Bill's final season, the next couple of years, I mean, drafted a lot of great players and and signed a lot of great players and built a great culture there that sustained you know past when he left. And so, yeah, I, I, and then obviously hired Jason Garrett first, but I think, you know, Jerry, a lot of people report to him. And so, you know, they probably look at it like Mike's like, I probably take care of the offense and, you know, you got Mike Nolan taking care of the defense and, you know, that's just kind of how it operates. And Jerry's just kind of at the top. He's like the star on the Christmas tree. And, you know, that can work if you have guys that I guess are all working together. And it's, it's crazy. Cause you talk about Mike Nolan. I mean, he's coached a lot of football Yeah, and, you know, I, he was in Miami. Like I find him to be a very intelligent guy. I think he's he's a good coach. I don't know if maybe they're doing what fits their players the best, but I just don't think that Mike kind of looks at this in an aggregate as like, how do we win games? He's thinking like, right. how do we operate the offense? I don't care how you operate the offense. How do you <laughs> win games? If you win a game 13 to nine, no one's going to say, hey, offense needs to be better. You say, hey, you, you won the game. And you can right. work on the offense as you go. But I do think there's a little bit there with Jerry's personality and how big he is that people kind of get siloed, maybe not necessarily into running like the head coach running the team. It's just running what you know, because Jerry kind of handles the rest. Okay. So I've always heard this then let's, let's jump into that. Like the specifics in Dallas, I've heard that the head coach to some degree has to manage the owner. Having been there, what does that mean to you? 
Um, Jerry's around all the time. And I, here's the thing, like Jerry, people view him as a meddler. Like he just always wants to kind of be informed. Right. He'll, he'll have opinions about things, but I would equate it to this. It's kind of like having like the big time booster in college. You right. know, the guy's going to be around sometimes. You're going to ask <laughs> some questions like they don't want to call plays. They may throw some tidbits into you like, hey, maybe we should do this. Maybe we should do that. And I think it's up to the head coach to be strong enough and absorb that information. And then also kind of, you know, you say manage Jerry, like talk to him and make sure he feels like he's a part of it. He is the owner. He is the general yeah. manager and make sure he's involved in the decision making so that you're linear in thought, but not letting those, those suggestions maybe play in your mind stronger than they should. Cause I, I truly believe this. I think Jerry's only ever trying to help. Like right. he literally wants to win as bad as anyone I've ever been around. And so I think some coaches that may not have the strongest personality in the world view his suggestions as like demands and they kind of <laughs> echo in their ear longer than they right. should. And like that never was a thing with Parcells because he'd won two Super Bowls and he's a strong personality. I think Mike McCarthy took this job and it's like, all right, this is my last chance as a head coach. We have a good roster. We need to win. And so Jerry's maybe talking a little bit and you need to hear it. You need to listen to it but you shouldn't let it weigh in your decision-making probably more than, than you need to obviously make it. And so I think he probably incorporated that as a little, maybe too large of a slice of the pie decision pie, I guess. I mean, I'm not really sure, but I think that that possibly could have an impact. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause it's like, it's so unique to that one place too. Like it doesn't exist like that really anywhere else. Well, Cause no Albert, no other place has an owner operator. <laughs> Like right. the place has a general manager of some kind, whether it's a head yeah. coach or another individual. Like Jerry, when he took the job, if a head, imagine if someone bought a team right now. Yeah, you know, um, imagine if Tepper bought. You know, when he bought the Panthers, like, hey, I'm going to be GM too. I know what. Like today, I mean, like he laughed out of the room. Like yeah. if he did it now, he laughed out of the room. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, you know what's interesting though is like everybody seems to like working for him. That's the, that's the other side of it. You know what I mean? Like that, like, you know, he does have this reputation that he wants to be involved. And I think to some degree, like he wants to be known as a football guy. He played at Arkansas. So he's obviously a pretty accomplished guy. Um, you know, when he was younger in the game, but it's, it's interesting because there's that part of it where he has that reputation. But then the other half of it is like, I remember having like, when I first got there, when I, when I covered the cow and for people who don't know, I covered the, 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 the Cowboys for the morning news way back in my twenties. And I remember asking a few players on other teams, do you want to play for the Cowboys? And one of the guys I worked with, Calvin Watkins, who I'm sure you remember from down okay. there, said to me, stop asking that question. And I said, why? He said, everybody wants to play for the Cowboys. And I think, okay. And so I think that works two ways. <laughs> yeah. I think like Jerry wants it to be that way. Mm -hmm. He recognizes it's that way. It's like the hot girl that knows she's really hot. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's never <laughs> a good situation. It's the smart dude that knows he's the smartest guy around. Right. Like, yeah. You never necessarily want to have that. Um, but P here's the thing. You've talked to Jerry. Jerry is one hell of a salesman. He is as charismatic as they come. You see him when he starts to tell stories and when he gets, starts engaging people, like people hang on his every word. He, yeah. he's, and that's why his players love him. He loves his guys and will do anything for him. And I mean, heck, I mean, I'm sure you've heard the stories about how the fact that, you know, everybody was kind of set on the, the Chargers being the preeminent L.A. team and maybe partnering the, you know, partnering With the Raiders, the yeah. Raiders and Jerry stands up and gives no, no, an no. impassioned <laughs> speech by the end of it. You've got like 30 other guys that are on your side. Hey, yeah. What else? Do these, these aren't like 
these are like middle school girls. These are like, like captains of industry. Yes, yeah. Those are <laughs> yeah. all billionaires. <laughs> yeah. and that that was able to sway them. And not that it wasn't inaccurate, but it's amazing that he's able to do that. And so that's the type of sway that he has. And so yeah, people want to play there. Guys love it. Because Jerry is you know, guys talk to Jerry and I I heard someone tell me this one time. And it was an agent that told me that because like dealing with Jerry can be tough. Like he's a deal guy, but he always likes to find the deal and he'll search for it. And he'll be creative because Jerry knows just enough football to be dangerous. You know, he played yeah. college football, played on a national championship team. And so it's not like he's ignorant of the fact like he knows enough, but he's not somebody that studies it all the time anymore right. because it, it's boring. Not that it's boring, but he has other interests and he has other things to do. And so yeah. that's a little bit works to his detriment. I think sometimes is, you know, he's, he's like the part-time doctor where, Hey, I I'll, I'll come to you for some advice on the side, but do you really want that guy operating on you, Albert, that right. also maybe like, you know, runs his own business somewhere else and he only operates <laughs> yeah. like twice a week. Right, right, right. So like the other part of this is kind of how unique Dallas is um, when things aren't going so well and how challenging it can be when they, when, you know, it just, I guess sort of like the circus comes to town. Like how is it, how tough is it for a player when, the noise starts there because it does seem like, and you know, I worked in the media there, so I have an idea of it. Like how tough is it for a player when that sort of like, like how is it different? Like going through the sort of spot that they're in right now and having to manage everything that goes along with that. Hey, you know, when the lights are bright when you're having success, they're even brighter when you're struggling. And that's just the reality. And you know, like you said, that 2008 year or, you know, we're coming off 07, we were great. You know, we were supposed to be really good again, kick the door in, you know, make the uh, make a run at the Super Bowl. And it all just kind of crumbled around us. Like, I mean, my goodness, I, the amount of questions you ask about this guy's relationship to that guy, the coaching, because, you know, I mean, you've covered other teams. The Patriots obviously have a huge horde. Some of these, you know, East Coast teams, but Dallas, man, yeah. the questions that you're getting there, and the way that people are trying to dig up information and now you see the guys are coming out where they're questioning the coach's game plan, you know, how coherent they are with different decisions and stuff. It's like, I don't know if that happens anywhere else this early in the process. Cause I don't know if like the digging is done to where they're really trying to rattle the players and get as much out of them as they can. Do you, do you remember any, like, cause that 08 season was really crazy. Like I still remember, so a few of the things I remember, I remember the, I remember Pac-Man Jones at the Ludacris concert. I remember T.O. Inter being interviewed by Dion in like a yeah. green like shirt. It wasn't an Eagle shirt, but it had like a bird on it. <laughs> like, yeah. like I just remember like that team and the expectations were sky high because you guys were 13 and three the year before lost in the playoff game to the Giants. Was there anything that like. I don't know. Is there any story from that season that sort of sums up what it was like being a cowboy in 2008 when and you guys weren't even a bad team? I think you were like nine and seven, right? But yeah, we were nine and five and we lost our last two games. We lost right. to the Ravens in the final game in Texas Stadium. And then we lost to the Eagles, the final game of the season. We got housed by the Eagles and then I think Willis McGahee ripped off. Uh, I remember that I was at that. Yeah, run, yeah, yeah, that was clean. like. Oh yeah, it was bad. That was like we one of them. That might have been the last game of Texas State. It was. Oh yeah. yeah. And Jerry came up. He's like, I'm not going to make you guys go outside and have to like talk to everybody. You know, it was like, my goodness, thank good, like be a part of it because that's nothing you want to celebrate. Obviously, as a player, we're incredibly down. But I guess you know, you look at you bringing in guys like, uh, you know, Tank. Uh, <laughs> 
What's his last name? Williams? Tank Williams? Tank, Tank Johnson, right? Tank Johnson, yeah. Tank yeah, Johnson. Yeah, because they Tank. had the D block. I remember they, they, they had what they call the D block in the locker room. Like yes. pa- Pac-Man and Tank and like I think T.O. was in that corner. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you get the problem is you got a lot of personalities <laughs> with that, man. A lot. <laughs> yeah. like, Jay Ratliff. Pac, yeah, Jay. Pac, <laughs> Pac could be the greatest guy in the world, very charismatic, or he could be someone you didn't want to talk to. I love Tank Johnson. I mean, but like the movie Hancock came out right around that time when um, – with Will Smith, you know, he's a superhero that's kind of disheveled, wears like the beater, the glasses, he's got a beard, unshaven, wears a sock hat. And I'll never forget one time, Tank comes walking into meetings after practice, just his beater, sunglasses on, like sock hat on his head, like sits like back up and I'm like, Hancock, like, is that you? Like people, you guys are just laughing, but I mean, and it was funny because that's just who he was. He was a good dude, but yeah, I mean, I've never been anywhere else where like that would have been cool to sit like in meetings with all of that on. <laughs> okay. Like we're in a dark room, you got shades on. It was just my goodness. I mean, I was like the the amount of things, some of that stuff. I, I will tell you this: there was a friend of mine that played on that team, uh, very very talented player, and um, played played for a long time in the NFL. He was, you know, share some, tell some, be sure to keep some too. That season, there's so much that went on as I kind of scroll through my mind and stories about some of those characters that, you know, when you're having to answer, and that was the year too, where they're talking about, you know, T.O. about, you know, Jason and Tony having their own plays and kind of freezing him out. Like there was just mm-hmm. so much stuff and having to answer questions about that. Like are guys designing their own plays? And, you know, people are asking, I played on defense for heaven's sake. And people are like, what do you hear? And you see stuff over there. Like, I mean, it was like investigative reporting. I mean, <laughs> I feel like that was scrutinized like the 2020 <laughs> presidential campaign, like looking back on it. But when you're in it and you've never been anywhere else, you don't really, you guess you don't know any better. But looking right. back, I mean, it was just so much there with all of it that went through and people trying to find who the leaks were that are feeding information in the press. Like it was, it was a wild, wild time. Yeah. I mean, I remember there was, there was even like, if I remember right, like maybe it was Calvin. One of the guys had a story about how like the plane had to wait for Jerry every week or something like that. Like Jerry was the last one on the plane. There was some crazy, crazy stuff. I mean, like, like that, like you guys would be sitting on the plane on the tarmac and like they had to hold the plane for Jerry a few times, something like that. That wouldn't surprise me. We would wait a lot. And I always wondered who it was. I mean, we've waited for players before and depending on how good you were, it was how long you'd wait. Um, obviously. <laughs> yeah as there were a couple of guys who were really talented that we waited, you know, 10, 15 minutes for before, but I, you know what, if we waited for Jerry, he got in on the front and that may have happened. That would have been closer up to the media. And so they would have probably yeah. have seen that. We would have had no idea, but yeah, that, that does not surprise me at all. So like based on all that, like, is it harder to dig yourself? Like, so look at the whole, the Cowboys, the 2020 Cowboys are in right now. Based on all of that, is it harder for a team to pull itself out of a hole because they because they because they are the Cowboys because they play in Dallas? Yeah, because I would say this: I, I still think they're going to win the division, but I still they'll be in that hole because that the yeah. division is it's like a giant sinkhole. But yeah. it's almost like you know you're you're you dug yourself a hole, and then being in Dallas, it's like they're just pouring water in it on top of you. Like you're in the hole, and it's like filling with water, and it's like collapsing around the outside. Whereas other places, <laughs> you know, if you're that bad, a lot of times. You know, national media isn't there. You know, nobody really analyzes it. Nobody cares other than local why you're why you're struggling. And so you can kind of lock, you know, hunker down. Hey, let's just get a win. Let's just get a win. Let's just get a win. And you do that a couple of times. You can kind of dig yourself out. Whereas in Dallas, I mean, everything, because if, if, if they go out, you know, and, and you'll know, beat the Giants or beat the Redskins, whoever they have this next couple of weeks, those two games, 
you know, they win those two games big, all of a sudden Dallas is back. You know, right. it's like it's the <laughs> pendulum swing to the other side. And now you're like, you went from trying to handle adversity to handling success all in the matter of like 14 days. Right, right. Did it take like, so like last thing on that, do you think, do you think it takes a certain type of player or a certain type of coach to succeed there? You know what I'm saying? Like, are there certain players that you saw that were really equipped for it and certain players that maybe weren't as equipped for it, certain coaches that were really equipped for it, certain coaches that weren't really equipped for it? Yeah, I would say this. I, I think you have to have very either A, you have to have very, very strong convictions and yeah. not be afraid to say what you think and, and be good with it. Or B, you just have to have the per- type of personality where nothing bothers you. And, and those two types of people are very, very tough to find in professional sports because usually guys, they get to that point and they love to be loved. And so when things are you know, said or written poorly about them, it bothers them. And it's tough to be really strong and convicted when people will tell you, you know, you're crazy. And so, right. especially in this point. So, you know, there were some guys who I played with that were like that and they were the ones that seemed to do the best with everything, but it's hard to find. Is there it's, one who'd be like a great example of it? Like who is a perfect guy to play there? Well, I think if you look at like Witten, Witten played there for yeah. so long. Like Witten was highly convicted, cared a ton about everything, you know, and people are going to say you're bad. He's like, we're not bad. We're just making mistakes. Like we're going to be okay. And he like, he truly believed that, that yeah. we're just one practice away from turning this all around. And it may be just incredibly Pollyannic and insane to think that way. That's how he believed. And that's why he was the player that he was. And so you have a guy that goes out and works like that and people can follow that guy, but it's tough. Or you have to have or someone who's just very nonchalant, like it doesn't bother him. And you know, I'm trying to struggle. Like, well, I remember like Witten, like I remember Witten being held up as such a great example, though, because like I remember hearing so all those guys who went with um, Parcells to to Miami, they all I remember them all saying like I remember a couple of them saying like in their meetings, um, you know that 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 first draft there was the question who they were going to take first overall, and they said one of the reasons why Parcells decided on Jake Long was that he reminded him of Witten. Like like his personality as a leader, he thought like Jake Long had like some of Witten's qualities. And so his whole thing was like I you know, I based on his experience with Witten, it was like, all right, like I see X, Y, and Z in him. I'm gonna make this guy my first draft pick because he's gonna be like what we stand for. So it's interesting that you say Witten kind of is that perfect guy to handle all of that because I think Parcells probably saw that too, you know? Oh yeah. And playing with Jake, I mean I you see some of that in there. Yeah. I mean, his career was cut short, like of mm-hmm. injuries. Jason somehow has managed to play through him for Which whatever. Which is crazy that Jason's still playing. Two, two decades. <laughs> you know, but Jake was the same thing. He'd go, he'd run through a wall. He'd keep playing. And, you know, he's having a knee scope on sun, Sunday night or Monday morning and playing the next weekend. Like that's stuff that Jason would have done the same. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Before I let you go, because we did talk before the season about some of the things you were expecting to see. Um, you know, with COVID, which is a strange season, different season. Um, is there anything that's really surprised you, you know, through the first five or six weeks, whether it's just a team succeeding, a team failing, something working, something not working? Like, is there anything that's really surprised you about the way all of this gone? This is gone since it's like such an unusual season, the way that, you know, just everything about it. Yeah, I guess two teams that were sh- that are kind of struggling that are surprising is the Saints and the Vikings. Yeah. Um, you know, the Saints are struggling less, but they've still had some struggles. And a lot of that probably has to do with Michael Thomas being injured. Uh, but the Vikings, man, like I, for the life of me, I know they had a tough schedule, but some of those things, like they're just kind of inexplicable to me, like how how it's happened, how that because they haven't had like a rash, rash of injuries. It's not like 
they're in the same situation as Dallas or San Fran where you could look and say, hey, they've got a lot of great players hurt. I think that's something that's kind of surprising um, to me is the fact that, you know, they struggle that much because I thought the Vikings would get a wild card. I didn't think they'd be able to surpass Green Bay, but get a wild card. And then probably a little bit positively, the fact that Miami's three and three, man. Yeah, I mean, they, they're playing well. Um, Brian Flores has those guys playing hard. I mean, they're playing disciplined football. And I mean, dare I say, like, could he be like the second kind of Bill Belichick guy? Him and Vrabel will be like the two dudes who seem yeah. to be able to have success, like as different as they are and go about it. But they both go about it, I think, in their own way. Right. Taking some of Bill's stuff as opposed to maybe trying to be Bill a little bit too much. Well, they're both like their own dude, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Vrabel, like anybody who's been around Vrabel, like that dude, like he is who he is. He, yeah. He's the same guy he was when he was 25. And like, and then Flo is same sort of thing. It's just like very much like you can tell there's nothing fake there. Like you can tell he's not trying to be somebody else. Like you know who you're talking to when you talk to him. I think with both those guys, you know. Oh, very true. Like, and that's players. I'm telling you, when you, you get to that level, you've had enough good coaches and bad coaches that you can smell crap a mile away. Yeah. And that's what, when you start seeing guys talk about things, I'm like, you've seen enough by the time you're in your mid twenties, you've played enough sports that you can tell coaches that are good or bad. And so there's no, 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 there's no hiding it anymore. You know, it's so interesting that you say that too. Like I've always said this about pro football players. For one reason or another, and I don't know why this is, the smart guys, the dumb guys, the great players, the average players, for one reason or another, you guys all have the most incredible BS meter. And I don't know what it is. Like, I don't know where that comes from, but everybody who plays pro football seems to have the greatest bullshit meter. I've never, like, it's, it's like, and I think that that's why you can't be phony. You, like, you, can't, you cannot fake it in, a, in an NFL locker room because if you are, like, it feels like those guys sniff it out almost immediately. Oh, yeah. Well, it's the one sport, I think, where you can get lied to the easiest by your coaches. In basketball, man, like, you can get the ball. You can go do what you want with, like, in football. If you're not designing stuff to get you to on offense or you're not in this situation on defense or you know, you're not this play time, like, there, there's a lot of stuff and there's a lot of moving parts. So it's really hard. And you see as you go through it, the bigger, bigger – the picture as it kind of increases and that's uh it's tough i guess and guys go through a lot of it and it's a tough physical game so you see the good ones you see the bad ones and you realize real quickly after a couple of years who's good and who's bad and who's gonna lie to you and who won't all right he's former nfl linebacker former first round pick um bobby carpenter we actually this is a big week for me and bobby too because ohio state football is back big 10 football is back on saturday i'm hoping I'm hoping we get all eight games played. I'm hoping we get a Big Ten championship game played. Um, you know, hopefully we have better luck than the rest of the country's had with college football, and we don't have as many bumps. But I think the team's gonna be pretty good this year. They got a talented squad, man. Just uh, it's a week to week deal. I'm just I'm gonna be satisfied watching uh, Nebraska, and then we'll move on to week two after Saturday. Absolutely appreciate you coming out, Bobby. Thanks, Albert. All right, thanks again to Bobby. Always great insight in the Cowboys and everything NFL. We're going to jump into our fantasy and DFS picks for this week with my guy, Michael Fabiano from SI.com, powered, as always, by DraftKings. Fabs, what's happening? What's going on, man? Uh, big news this week with Tua being named the starter yeah. in Miami. I know there's a lot of disappointed fantasy owners, including myself, who have been riding Ryan Fitzpatrick in two QB and Superflex leagues. So uh, I'm interested to see what Tua can do on the NFL ground should be fun. So did you pick up Tua? I did in, so I play in a bunch of like two QB and super flex leagues 
in traditional redrafts, I didn't pick him up because quarterback is just so deep and Miami's on a bye this week, but he needs to be picked up across the board in super flex and two QB formats because quarterbacks are very hard to come by. Okay, let's let's start this week with the same thing we started last week with, which is uh, COVID nineteen wreaking havoc on the NFL schedule. Um, you know, I just I, I think for the foreseeable future, this is sort of an interesting topic we can kind of get into every week. And um, so, like, I think it's just you know for for all you guys out there who are looking to you know set your lineups and and be smart about all of this, we're gonna try. I think over the next few weeks, at least for the foreseeable future, to get some like lessons of those of the of the COVID-19 season from fab so is there anything that you took away from this past weekend that you're going to use going forward based on the circumstances that are unique to this year right and I I feel like handcuffing running backs had kind of fallen by the wayside as a strategy but you've got to do that uh this season more than any other I mean imagine if Christian McCaffrey was your number one overall pick and you didn't draft Mike Davis or you weren't able to pick him up off the waiver wire you know, Albert, that's, it's hard to come back from. Right. And so like in that situation, it worked out with the giants and Saquon. I mean, they went out and signed Devonta Freeman, uh, who's been so, so, so far this season, but you have to make sure that you're adding these handcuffs. And I'll give you an example. This isn't covert related, but Joe Mixon continues to get banged up every single week. You got to go out and get geo. If you have Joe Mixon, just in case. And then one strategy that I've employed in the past, and I feel like people should also do this is say a player is the number one backup running back on a team and maybe they have a buy or maybe they're just floating out there on the waiver wire right and you have a dead spot on your roster i'd pick that player up who knows what could happen injuries happen we're dealing with the coronavirus so i'll give you an example a few weeks back before christian mccaffrey went down i had a dead spot on my roster. i just picked up mike davis i'm like yeah okay i don't need this player i'm gonna pick up mike davis and, and just kind of see what happens. And then literally McCaffrey goes down and suddenly I've got Mike Davis. Now I flipped Mike Davis and was able to trade him to the team that has McCaffrey because all's fair in love and fantasy football, right? So you got to be smart about this thing. You have to be forward thinking, uh, especially when it comes to the running back position. And now that you have the buys and you've always got the threat of COVID, it's, it's one of those situations where you got to make sure that you are absolutely insured. Now, week to week, we don't know in terms of the COVID situation, what game might be postponed, what game uh, might be in danger of not being played. You know, we've seen those scenarios already. They're very likely to happen again at some point in the season. So make sure you have depth on your roster, on your bench. Uh, pick up those those players that could potentially help you uh, down the line as well, because that's very important. The NFL is a week-to-week league, and, and people need to remember that. Okay, so that's great advice there. Be sure to keep working that waiver wire. That's where I always fall off during the year. It's busy for me during the year. And mm-hmm. everybody asked me, Fabs, like, why aren't you any good at fantasy football? You cover the <laughs> league. I'm like, well, it's because like I'm it's like on a random Wednesday and Thursday, I don't have the time to be working the waiver wire the way my buddies do when they're and, and I'm I'm there with you too, man. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm in fourteen leagues right now that are redrafts, twenty yeah. uh if you include my best ball. And it's hard to keep up with yeah. all these things, but I, I will say this, and, and I agree with you there. If you want to win in fantasy football, you got to pay attention. And yep. I understand it's time consuming, but that it's very important, especially in the ever-changing world of the NFL. Okay, let's jump into your picks again, powered by DraftKings. Um, and we'll start with your DFS bargains and fades for week seven. Can't believe we're already there. Week seven yeah, of I know. NFL Fabs. I mean, dude, we got a couple of weeks and it's Halloween. It's just unbelievable. So uh, we'll start with the bargains. Ryan Tannehill 
I told you last week, the guy's underrated. He's he's amazing, and uh, he's not getting the love. I like him against Pittsburgh. Should be All a right. high-scoring game. I'm going to stop you right there because yeah. I'm going to read you. Like, like, like Fabs isn't kidding. When, and I, I know I said this earlier with Gresh. His passer rating as a Titan is 116. That is and it's not a small sample no, size. No, not at all. I, like we I, gotta stop digging this guy for what he was in Miami. Yeah, I know. Forget about that. Adam Gase ruined him, right? I mean, like it was one of the reasons why Gase likes to ruin uh, good players, apparently. But <laughs> the the point here is that the points are the points. He's averaging over twenty fantasy points per game since week seven of last year. He's been a top ten fantasy quarterback since week seven of last year, and this guy wasn't owned in fifty percent of leagues a week and a half ago. It's crazy. Like, I get it. The position is deep, but God, the guy's been great. So, so Tannehill's Hill's in there. Teddy Bridgewater's a very good play. Revenge game against the Saints at $5,800. And I am a Cowboys fan. You know that. I am disgusted. Okay. I was disgusted last year. I'm even more disgusted this year. That, that team is a disaster. And if you really want to go deep at the quarterback position, Kyle Allen's at $5,200. And heck, every quarterback's putting up numbers against the Cowboys. Uh, DeAndre Swift emerged last week. I like him. Latavius Murray in a good matchup against the Panthers at $4,800. J.D. McKissick, notice a trend here against the Cowboys at $4,600. Uh, I like Tyree Kill at $6,400 against Denver. DJ Moore at 5600 and then Tyler Boyd's a very good play against Cleveland at $5,400 at tight end. Hunter Henry, Austin Hooper, and Logan Thomas against the Cowboys at $3,500. The players that I'm fading this week, uh, Cam Newton against the Niners at $6,300. Drew Brees, now big name, getting Michael Thomas back. He has not been a very good fantasy quarterback this season. And when you look at him historically at home against Carolina, this is kind of digging deep, Albert, but this is what I do. 42% of his career home games against Carolina have resulted in a game where he has scored fewer than 16 fantasy points. And wow. Carolina's pass defense is really, really good. And then Gardner Minshew, not that the matchup's terrible. I don't trust him this week at $5,900. James Robinson is too expensive for me at $6,200. So is Jarek McKinnon. And then Philip Lindsay comes in at $5,300. Assuming Melvin Gordon comes back, Lindsay uh, should not be in DFS lineups. Will Fuller at 68. He's been great. He's had one bad game all year long. I do fear, though, that J.R. Alexander could end up shadowing him this week, which would uh, downgrade him. Odell Beckham Jr. against the Bengals. I told everybody to trade him after he dominated the Cowboys because everybody dominates the Cowboys. He's done nothing since then. DJ Chark at $5,800 in a tough matchup against Los Angeles. At tight end, Hayden Hurst and Jared Cook also phase for me this week on DraftKings. If you can't tell, it was a rough Monday night for our friend Michael Fabiano. No, I'm telling you, so so here's here's how rough it was, okay? Not only did my team get its butt handed to it, right? And and we're still in first place, which is crazy, right? But Zach Martin goes down. Our whole offensive line is shot to hell. Our defense is terrible. And then Kenyon Drake, okay, who I have been bashing for most of the season because he has been an absolute disaster, okay? Kenyon, all the Cardinals need to do, Albert, is get like two or three yards. They get the first down. They kneel down. The game's over. Okay? I've got a two-point lead in my Allison Chains League going up against Michael Buble. All right? Wow. Buble's got Drake. All I need is for Arizona to get three yards, and the game is over, and I win by the slimmest of margins. What does Drake do? The offensive line opens up like – you know, the, the, the freaking the, the, like Red, the Red Sea, sea party. And, and, like, and he scores like on a 40-yard-plus touchdown. And not only do my Cowboys add insult to injury, but I lose 
in that fantasy league. So it, it was a rough night, and uh, I I did not uh, stop short of of going so you, off on you the had, Cowboys. You, so so just to be clear here, you hadn't turned the game off. Like you had you. Oh still no had no no no! Listen, man, I I I I will go. I, I go down with the ship, man. Okay, I'm like the captain in the Titanic. I go down with the ship. Yeah, okay, I watch every game, and it just makes me madder and madder and more angry. And then I have more fuel of the fire for my radio show the following day. I, I don't know what it, like would it have been worse to have to like see on the internet what happened, like the Drake run, or would it have been was it worse? Yeah, no, to see no, it no. Live? I, no but it probably I, was. I probably would have been worse to see it on the internet after because that would have been. Like that would have been a real nut punch. It was, it was unbelievable. And like, you know, of course there's not going to be like a Maurice Jones drew or, or Brian Westbrook situation where, you know, he runs for the three yards, gets the first down and then sits down yep. because the game's over. Nope. Of course you got to pad the stats. And, uh, that, that run, Albert, changed the uh, direction of a lot of fantasy matchups this past No week. question. No question. All right. We're going to get into your fantasy column now. Again, as we always say here, this is the original Stardom Sidham column. Uh, the first Stardom Sidham column on the internet. It's over 20. It's 20 years old now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fabs, give us a little taste of what's going to be in your Stardom Sidham column this week. Yeah, man. And it's up there right now on SI.com slash fantasy. So make sure you go out and check that out. Uh, I'm starting at quarterback, Matt Ryan, Matthew Stafford, Big Ben, Teddy Bridgewater, and Justin Herbert's been so good. You could play him this week. At running back, Ronald Jones has been phenomenal. David Johnson has not been phenomenal, but the matchup is very good against Green Bay. Todd Gurley, Devin Singletary, and Justin Jackson, who before the bye week outsnapped, outtouched, and outperformed Joshua Kelly. At wide receiver, Terry McLaurin is a must-start wide Cowboys. That's all you need to know. Tyler Boyd, Chase Claypool, who's been the top wide receiver in fantasy football the last two weeks. Didn't think I'd be saying that. Jamison Crowder is in play. Christian Kirk, who was one of my sleepers last week, also a good play as a flex this week. I'm starting TJ Hawkinson at tight end. Austin Hooper, Dalton Schultz, and Hunter Henry. Some players to sit. Jared Goff against the Bears. Drew Brees, if you have a better option, against the Panthers. Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Baker Mayfield on the bench. The running back position is hard, Albert, because you got four teams off. And even if a guy has a bad matchup, you probably got to play him. So temper expectations on David Montgomery against the Rams, uh, Daryl Henderson against the Bears, Jarek McKinnon against New England, Le'Veon Bell. I'm not playing him this week. I still feel like Clyde Edwards there is going to be the guy there, at least for uh, the next few weeks. And then Damian Harris is a fade for me. So is Julian Edelman. Uh, Debo Samuel is a fade for me. Henry Ruggs, who was big before the bye week, is a fade. He's still not getting a ton of targets. Michael Gallup, Emmanuel Sanders with Michael Thomas back is also a sit at tight end. Tyler Higby, what a disappointment he's been. Jared Cook, the matchup is tough. Carolina's defense is really good against the pass and pass catchers. Uh, Greg Olson and Chris Herndon should also be on your bench. And I liked how you worked one last shot at the Cowboys in. Oh, with dude, Terry, it's going to happen with your, all with your, week with your, with your Terry McLaurin it's, nugget there. It's going to be all week, and then we're going to we're going <laughs> to lose to Washington this weekend. Our offensive line is garbage. Start, and I'm not even saying this just to be funny. Start the Washington defense this week. That Cowboys offensive line is shot to heck. It is an absolute mash unit right now. You got Chase Young. That defense gave you a nice stat line in week one, so it's capable. I'm telling you right now, like there's there's some fantasy options in Washington this week uh, against my beloved Dallas Cowboys. I have to start Andy Dalton this week in one of my leagues. I'm hoping that the NFL is such a week-to-week league that maybe Dalton will wake up and put up some numbers, but I'm not confident. I got, I got, I'm, I'm going to steal this from my buddy Mike Gelkin down at the Dallas Morning News. He dubbed this weekend – WFT versus WTF. <laughs> and he's not, right, too. Yeah, bad. and Gelkin's been on my show a lot. He's a good dude. Absolutely, absolutely. That's why he's the best. Fabs, always appreciate you coming out. All right, my brother. 
All right, thanks to Fabs, thanks to Gresh, thanks to Bobby. Great show this week. We're going to wrap it up like we always do with the six-pack. Get to all of your questions in the six-pack. You guys know how that works. Every Tuesday, I put the call out for questions on Twitter. I pick six. If I pick yours, you get a like. That means I hit that little heart on the Twitter machine, and you get an answer here on the podcast. Question number one this week coming from Steve Senti. That's at Steve Cano. Please provide one good reason why why Adam Gase is still employed. They are going to lose anyway, does not qualify. We mentioned this earlier in the show, and I'll reiterate it. I think part of it is the fact that Woody Johnson is still in the UK but might be coming back depending on what happens in the election. So you could have Woody Johnson back stateside by the middle of November. Maybe he's back in charge by the end of the season. And if Woody thinks that he's coming back, he may be communicating Don't do anything until I get back. That doesn't help Adam Gase much long term because what he didn't hire Adam Gase. Um, And so, you know, I think that there's still probably where it is anyway. But it is possible that the guy who's going to be writing the checks, if they do fire the guy to make him go away, wants to be here when that decision is made. Question number two. This is coming from Steve Ogletree. That's at Stephen Ogletree. Why is Miami benching Fitzpatrick for Tua? I get that it's their bye week, but Fitz is really good right now. The move may kill any momentum they had going into the second half of their season. Steve, I understand what you're saying. And again, this is sort of counterintuitive, but I think it makes sense. Normally, the way the first-round quarterbacks get in if they aren't starting week one is their teams fall apart at the start of the year. Um, usually guys drafted high that high, usually they wind up on bad teams. Sometimes those teams start out one and six, two and eight, whatever it is. And they get to a point in the season again, if they aren't the week one starter where they say, okay, well, we have to give the young guy a shot now and we want to give him some momentum going into week two or into year two. This is the opposite of that. This is looking at it and saying, we have a young guy we really like. We are cognizant of where he is, um, in his work now like what sort of progress he's made in the practice field, what sort of progress he's made in the meeting room. We feel like he's ready. And now with our bye week, we have an opportunity to, instead of putting him in that bad sort of situation I just described, we're going to have a chance to put him in a good situation. And so I think that this actually makes a lot of sense. So long as you can sell it to your locker room, that's the big part. If you can sell it to your locker room because the team's playing well, and when the team's playing well, that's an important piece to everything. I think that it's actually really, really smart the way the Dolphins are handling this. Question number three, um, this is from Not Who You Think I Am, our buddy at Don Ridenour. Trade that will happen that no one is expected, but you have some inside info on. I, I'm not going to give you a specific trade. I would just say keep an eye on the Minnesota Vikings. They've got some cap gymnastics they were going to have to do after the year anyway. I would expect the Vikings could wind up being a seller. That could mean somebody like Kyle Rudolph gets moved. Maybe somebody makes a play for one of their linebackers, Eric Kendricks or Anthony Barr. Um, it just feels like right now they're at the spot. They're in a spot where they might wind up at one and five, being one of the sellers out there. So that would be a surprise. Question number four from All Happy Teams are alike at All Happy Teams. Are the 2020 Bears really just the 2019 Packers? Well, I don't think that'd be a horrible result. Because the 2019 Packers, bad as they may have looked in the NFC title game, got to the NFC title game, and it wound up being sort of a launching pad for where they are right now, which I think still, even though they lost to the Bucks the way they lost on Sunday, is, is one of the best teams in football. Um, but I do think there are some parallels there. I think that's fair. They don't have Aaron Rodgers, obviously. Nick Foles, I think, would admit um, himself that he is an Aaron Rodgers. But 
we have seen some things sort of break their way and they have proven to be pretty resourceful in tight spots. So that comparison isn't a horrible one. The defense, I mean, physically imposing up front. I think you got Roquan Smith rounding into shape as one of the best, you know, off the ball linebackers in the league and a secondary that's playing really well around Kyle Fuller and Eddie Jackson. And you even have like some young guys like, you know, like Jalen Johnson that have really come on and started to play well for them. I, I really like where the bears are on defense. It's going to be up to their offense now and more young guys like Darnell Mooney, like Cole Komet coming around to, I mean, think turn them into the sort of the team the Packers became at the end of last year, which is one of the reasons why, because they had that basis um, to go off of, one of the reasons why the Packers were able to turn 2019 into 2020. Uh, question number five is from Big Mike. That's at Big underscore Mike underscore 150. Do you think to make sure that Trevor Lawrence doesn't pull an Eli, the Jets, if when they get the number one pick, must hire a big-time offensive-minded head coach? And at what price? I'm not sure that Trevor Lawrence is going to pull that. Like I don't know. Uh, maybe he will. Maybe he won't. He definitely has the leverage to do it if he wanted to. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that you're going to be able to, I think you're going to be able to hire a better head coach because of Trevor Lawrence, because you have that carrot out there. And so if you're in a competitive situation for an Eric B or Lincoln Riley or whoever it might be, I don't know who's going to be out there. Um, you know, and, 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 and that person's picking between jobs to say, say the way that Matt rule was picking between jobs last year, then yeah. I mean, I think you certainly have that carrot, like where it's like, okay, like we can offer you the chance to work with Trevor Lawrence. So the Jets actually could come out of this in a pretty decent situation. Finally, question number six. This is from Mike Duran. That's at Mikey D underscore 31. Is Nikhil Harry officially a bust? Will the Patriots trade for a receiver? Have the Patriots talked internally about extending Cam beyond this year? Your third question. Yeah, I mean, that's a discussion point, of course. That's something you'd always discuss when you're talking about future plans. Question number two, will the Patriots trade for a wide receiver? I think a lot of that's going to depend on how they look this week. Um, whether they're a buyer or not at the trade deadline. Is Nikhil Harry a bust? I'm I'm resident to kind of you know be out on a player um, that early in his career. We're still only 21 games into his NFL career. That said, Debo Samuel went four picks after Nikhil Harry. I think was seen widely as a, a good fit for New England. They passed on him. He looks dynamite in San Francisco. Later in the second round, A.J. Brown, 51st overall to the Tennessee Titans. Um, after that, McCole Hardman went 56th overall. Even J.J. Arcega Whitesides probably looked a little better than Akil Harry. He went 57th to the Eagles. D.K. Metcalf went 64th to the Seahawks. And you get the picture. It's a tough look for the Patriots right now. We'll see where it goes, but you know, between Hardman, between um, DK Metcalf, between even like D- somebody like Deontay Johnson in Pittsburgh, we saw a lot of good players at that position go after Nikhil Harry went. And I think like now the idea that you know a huge part of it was that Brady was holding him back because the offense was so complex with Brady. Now that's gone too. So it'll be interesting to follow that going forward. Appreciate you guys coming out. As always, we want your feedback here at the Albert Breer Show. And we're doing our best to make this the best show that we possibly can for all of you out there. So what you guys can do to help us, you can get me your feedback on all my social channels, at Albert Breer on Twitter, at Albert R. Breer on Facebook, at Albert underscore Breer on Instagram. And you can rate and review us on iTunes. That, of course, helps us become more visible 
to everyone else who doesn't happen to be subscribing to the show. So you guys hit us up there. We appreciate it. You, can sh- you should also subscribe to all of the MMQB shows, the MMQB Monday Morning pro- Podcast, a gambling podcast. That's on one feed with, uh, with Gary Grambling. The Weekside Podcast with Connor and Jenny. That drops in the middle of the week, just like my show. And then, of course, the Albert Breer Show. Um, and you can get us on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you guys get your shows. We are there. Same time next week. I'll see you guys then. Bye.